Thank you for joining us here at Celebration Church, where we celebrate God, celebrate people, and celebrate life. We hope you enjoy today's message. This morning, I just want to do a part two to this because I'm so passionate about this. And then next week, we're doing our final code, which is we will celebrate, and, and that'll be two parts because we're going to do this, we will celebrate next Sunday, and then the following Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. So what a great way to finish, we will celebrate when we celebrate people getting baptized, people, you know, hearing things, uh, sorry, stepping into new seasons in God. We do want to welcome our podcasters this morning. You are part of our family. We welcome you. Why don't we all say on the count of three, welcome. One, two, three. Welcome. Welcome. You're part of what we're doing today. Why don't you turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 this morning. A powerful piece of scripture. I've got a giant water bottle here. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 says this. It says, For though we live in the world, we, are not wa- we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds, to demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare is a very real thing. Do you know that right now you are surrounded by a spiritual realm? And this morning, my message is going to be a message that I pray you hear with mature ears, that you hear with an open heart. It's a message this morning that I believe can actually set our church apart on the map. I really believe it. But it's going to take us letting our mindsets be expanded a bit. Right now we're surrounded by spiritual elements. There's angels around us. There's demonic forces around us. There's light around us. and There's darkness around us. We're so physical-orientated people, we live looking at the flesh that often we, f- we can forget that the spiritual realm is just as real as the physical realm. Have you noticed on TV in the past five years how many shows are about spiritual things? You see, the world is interested in spiritual things. The thing is this morning is that there is actually a war going on. It is a war that's been won by Jesus on the cross, and we enforce that victory. But until Jesus comes back, the enemy still is on the earth. He still roams around like a lion. He still wants to destroy your life. But we have victory through Jesus. But we have to be aware of something. The spiritual warfare is real. Don't be so naturally minded that you're blind to the things of the Spirit. You know, some days when you feel oppression, when it's a hard day, it's demonic things coming against you. Do you know that? You know, for our younger generation here, do you know that? It's just not all about psychology. You know that sometimes the spiritual things coming against you? I know this because sometimes when I'm going to preach a message, I can sense in my spirit when there's opposition. And then I also sense when there's breakthrough. 
That's why every time we do a salvation altar call, we encourage the Christians to pray. Because when you pray, you affect things spiritually. We don't fight with bombs and jets and armies on the ground. No, no, we fight with worship and prayer and the Word of God and encouragement and breakthrough. And that's what we fight with. So as I look across this room, I actually see a room full of soldiers. But the other difference between the natural world and armies and our army is that our, our army is actually a family. You know, we actually are people who are joined together spiritually through the blood of Jesus. How cool is that? So this morning, I encourage you that we're in the trenches fighting for our city, fighting for our nation, fighting for our families, fighting for ourselves. But we have to understand that the person next to you has your back. So this morning's message is called, We Will Fight for Family. Fight for your family. Fight for your family. I'm speaking in particular this morning about your spiritual family. Fight for your physical family. It's, a great, it's your greatest ministry as your family, your physical family. But at the same time, fight for your spiritual family. We're called to be people who fight for each other. We're called to be people who fight for each other, not with each other. <laughs> That's tweetable right there. People who fight for each other, not with each other. But if you've been a Christian for any number of, time, any number of years, you will have noticed how great is the church of fighting each other. If you actually read the New Testament, how great was the early church of fighting each other? When Paul wrote to the churches, he wasn't writing to the unsaved, he was writing to the saved. And he was talking about conflict resolution. He was talking about getting on and forgiving, being one of spirit. You see, the enemy's plan is always the same. It's to fight against family. His plan is always to destroy God's family. I come from a, a heritage, spiritually, of ministry. My grandma started the first phone counselling service in Australia with her own money. She started a counselling ministry. My dad would have to wake up at two in the morning when the phone went off at home and answer the phone. Years and years and years ago, she was a great woman of God, my grandma. My parents were in ministry and for 30, 31 years here, plus other places. My uncle is a pastor, my auntie's a pastor. I've got another auntie who's a missionary. I've got two cousins, both pastoring their own churches. Another cousin who's doing mission work. This is our family. We don't come from a family of butchers or plumbers or some other profession, and often those things can run through family. No, no, we come from the background of pastoring. So I actually feel like I have a little bit of credibility. This morning when I speak about pastoring and when I speak about family, spiritual family this morning. You know, there's no other, well, the first thing is this, the first point, I've got three different sections this morning, but the first section is this. As a family, we're called, firstly, to fight for our pastors. Now, what, this is where I need you to be mature this morning, yeah? 
And by the way, this is a hard message for a pastor to preach. But I feel like if we lay a hold of it, it will change our church. And I feel like if churches lay a hold of this message, it'll change their church. Okay, so if you think about family, what does the enemy always try to attack first? He always tries to attack parents. If he can get the parents to be messed up, the kids get messed up. And so when it comes to being a spiritual family, what is the enemy's plan every time I've seen this time after time after time after time, the enemy attacks the spiritual head of the local church. Now the spiritual head is Jesus, but then he entrusts through his grace pastors to help oversee the church. So what does the enemy attack? Pastors. Because if he can attack the pastors and we get messy, guess what the church is going to become? Messy. So therefore this morning we have to have this revelation afresh that we need to actually fight for our pastors. There is no other role in the world that carries the spiritual weight of a pastor. And I'm talking about carrying a weight. You know, a few times a week, I am awoken in the mor- through the night thinking about people in our church. And most times when I reach out to those people, it's the very moment they needed someone to reach out. But it affects our family. You know, when Charlie and I were asked to take on the church or to consider the church, we actually had to think about it because I've seen the cost that pastoring has on family. It was actually, we were leaning towards no. Do you know that? I don't know if I ever told you that. I've seen what churches do to families. I've seen what churches do to pastors. They chew them up and they spit them out. I've seen it 50 times, I think, throughout my life around our nation. Christians who are self-righteous don't know how to honour, don't know how to encourage, and they actually grind down the pastors. So we actually thought, we're not going to do this based on opportunity, we're going to do it based on God speaking to us. So we said yes to the church, not because it was a great career move, but because it was a grace to do it. So there's this weight on pastors to lead the church family, but there's also a grace And that's really cool. What is grace, church? Grace is a supernatural enabling. Yeah. I remember in my youth pastor days, um, I had one one of my program leaders running running a program, and they were great. But then after a a period of time, they started getting kind of critical, and they started whinging to me, and they started getting negative towards, we should be doing this in youth and we should be doing that in youth and we should be trying this. To the point where I just said to them one day, I said, okay, this Friday, you can carry youth. This Friday, you can run youth and I'll stay home. They said, yep, no worries. That Friday, they'd done youth. Next day, I saw the person, they said to me, oh my goodness. They said, I never understood how much spiritual pressure there is to cover the youth ministry. They said, I give it back to you. (laughs) I'm happy being under your team. I'm happy being under your leadership. And I remember thinking to myself, it's true. Because when I was prayed in to be the youth pastor, 
I remember when the oversight team prayed for me, I felt like a spiritual covering placed on me. It was a grace that was placed on me. Charlie and I are senior pastors here because we sense the grace of God upon us and his burden is easy and his, you know, uh, his yoke is light, so therefore we rest in that. But we also understand that there is definitely a cost to being the spiritual mum and dad of a church family. Now, again, I'm speaking to you and saying, let's mature this morning. Listen to this and don't be like, no, no, listen to this. This will change our church. Fight for your pastors. Here are some things we hear as pastors. What is it that you do with the rest of your week when you're not preaching? It must be nice to only work one day a week. I'd like to come see you this afternoon. Since you're not, it's not Sunday, I'm assuming you're free. This is stuff we hear. Here are some things that we expect from our pastors, right or wrong. And no other job in the world has this much responsibility that I know of. We're going to put it up on the screen. Teaching and preaching, caregiving, including visitation, counselling, comforting, taking care of the needs of the people, performing rites of passage such as baptism, building, uh, sorry, baptism, weddings and funerals, administration such as taking care of meetings, putting together a newsletter, developing programs for the church and evangelism, serving as an ambassador of the church to the community, fundraising, recruiting, training, being a scholar, writer, manager, public relations, employer, spiritual oversight. It's just exhausting just reading it. Spiritual advisor, career coach, business advisor, custodian, arbitrator, conflict resoluter, social worker, volunteer coordinator, events manager, CEO, running an organisation, expected to grow the church, looking after individual needs and health of everybody, to be available 24-7 and to be perfect. Did you notice that? Have you not even realized that? This is what we expect from local church pastors. This is the role that we put on, oh, I pay my tithe, therefore this is your job. Yeah. And so we have this high statistical rate of pastors burning out because some career jobs are only three of those and they're trained to do it. There's like 15, 20 right there. I encourage you this morning that as a church, we need to fight for our pastors. I encourage you with the, the whole thing of being perfect to embrace the humanity of your pastors because it shows that you're not alone in your humanity. Can I get a fan, somebody? I'm getting a bit sweaty up here. I need a volunteer. Uh, Charlotte, can you come and help me put these gloves on? Anyone here like boxing? You can get me like a tea towel or something. <laughs> oh, no. That's Yeah, there you go. That's okay. I'll do what I've done. Too hot. (laughs) 
boxing gloves, used for fighting. This morning, I want to encourage you to put on your boxing gloves. I'm going to preach the whole message in these boxing gloves. And they are very hot. Why don't you just, why don't you just pretend to put on some boxing gloves right now? Just pretend. Put on your boxing gloves. That fan is doing absolutely nothing. Can we just face it up? Fighting for each other, not with each other. You know, there's something so great about people. Oh, you can just pat my forehead. That'd be great. Thanks, wife. Yeah, thanks. She's fighting for me right now. She's fighting for me. There's something so powerful about knowing that someone has your back. There's something so powerful about knowing someone is fighting for you. It's so interesting watching my wife, isn't it? Huh? No, you can sit down, sorry. Right. The whole church is just watching the fan right now. That's all right, you just leave it. I've got a fan already, thanks. Podcasters, we're just stuffing around on the stage with our fans. Thanks, guys. So much better. It's good to have someone fighting in your corner. One thing about pastors as well, just to let you know, as a pastor's kid for my whole life, is that we have to actually realise that pastors are human. It's a bit comical preaching like this, but pastors are human. I encourage you this morning to embrace the humanity of your pastors and your leaders. When you see your pastor or leader make mistakes, embrace it. It gives you hope that if they aren't perfect, then you've got some hope for you. I know this because I've watched people crucify pastors because they've made mistakes. I'm not saying to endorse sin. I'm just saying let's be a high-grace church. Let's be people who cover each other's humanity. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Fight for your pastors. Fight for your, parent, fight for your family. Hebrews 13, 17. It says, Have confidence in your leaders... And submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work may be a joy and not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. What's my heart when it comes to this point this morning? This will change our church. I'm telling you, if you get this, it'll change everything. Submit to your leaders because they give an account over you. Charlie and I have to give, we get a double judgment because of what we do when it comes to leading you, how we teach you the Bible talks about. It's a very serious thing. But we have to be very aware that when it comes to God, that he actually wants us to submit to our local spiritual authority. You know what submit means? It's like submission. It's coming under someone else's mission. I'm speaking this, and it's a hard message to preach in our nation because we have this thing called tall poppy syndrome. If someone gets too high up, we have to cut them down. We have to keep people humble. Now, we see it with our prime minister, opposition leader, politics, every night on the news, yeah? There's not much honour because we're always, people are always cutting down. You know that there can be disagreement but still honour. 
So as a nation and as Australians, we actually have to work extra hard at this, that we learn to honour authority. In America, they do this actually quite well. You don't see it on the news so much. But when you travel through the States, they're super honouring. Not every part, but the parts we went to, definitely. You get the Japanese culture, it is really honouring. People pull in front of you in the traffic there, they will stop. Tao told me this, and he's been to Japan a few times. People, it's like, yes, come in front of me. Like, it's, like, it's not an issue. There's no road rage when it comes to that because it's all about honouring each other. Make their job a joy and not a burden. I encourage you to embrace this. A healthy pastoral team means a healthy church. Make your pastor's job a joy and not a burden. Now, parents here, imagine if your kids live this. Imagine if they said, I'm going to make your job a joy, mum and dad, and not a burden. Revival just hit your house. <laughs> I didn't have the volunteer. Ryan, can you jump up for a second, bro? I can't hit you, bro. Let me just share some really quick stats with you for a second before we get Ryan to, to help me. Here's some stats from 2017, and please hear this. Please hear this. 40% of pastors and 40, 47% of spouses are suffering from burnout, frantic schedules, and unrealistic expectations. 70% don't have any close friends. Please hear this. 75% report severe stress causing anguish, worry, bewilderment, anger, depression, fear, and alienation. 80% of pastors say they have insufficient time for their spouse. 80% believe their pastoral ministry affects their family negatively. 90% feel unqualified or poorly prepared for ministry. 90%, think about this with me, 90% work more than 50 hours a week. 94% feel under pressure to have a perfect family, and 1,500 pastors per month leave ministry due to burnout, conflict, or moral failure. Here's the question I have for you. What causes pastors to suffer? And here's the answer, you. Christians. Pastors don't burn out because of the unsaved. Oh, how could you say that to me? Oh, I would never do that. Hopefully you wouldn't. Hopefully you're the minority who are saying, I'm going to intentionally make my pastor's job a joy and not a burden. I'm, I love pastors. I have a heart for pastors. You will hear me preach this many times that we will fight for pastors. We have pastors come here for regional days and we bless them, we feed them, we honour them. We want to just value pastors. Because when the enemy attacks a pastor, the church will scatter. I hope you understand this. Again, I'm speaking to the mature this morning. Can you just grab that bar, Ryan? I can't really help you with my gloves. But we'll see about that. Actually, can you turn the page for me too? That'd be really helpful. That's okay. Yeah, that's good. All right, Ryan, can you just hold that above your head, like straight up over your head? And can I get someone to time on their phone how long... Ryan can last for. That's okay. I'm sweaty everywhere, bro. It's all good. 
All right, so you got it? All right, ready. Awesome. Okay, let's just you stay there for a while, man. Okay, here we go. Exodus chapter 17, verse 11 says this. It says, and it's talking about the Israelites. It's talking about the Amalekites. And it's talking about Moses overseeing the Israelites. And it says this in verse 11, Exodus 17, 11. As long as Moses held his hands up, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. And verse 12 says, when Moses' hands grew tired... They took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Ur held his hands up, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekites' army with a sword. Can you just move forward, bro, just up here? Thanks, man. I love this. God speaks to Israel. Israel represents the church and, and basically says, Moses, when your hands are held high, you're going to win. Revival's going to break out. The army of God's going to go forward. He holds his hands up like Ryan is right now. He holds it up for as long as he can, and as he's being obedient, holding his hands up, doing the best he can, victory's breaking out. Let us know when you start to feel a bit weak, bro. You'll know. You'll know. The question I have for you this morning is this. How can we hold the hands up of our pastors? Every time I preach this, I feel opposition. In in a spirit, every time I speak about spiritual authority and leadership, I feel a kick back against it. We have to model something better. The churches in our nation have to model something better. In our city, in our state, we have to model something kingdom. We're not talking about worshipping pastors, we're talking about honouring. Because as we honour, we can receive. The Bible says we honour, we receive and we honour a prophet. We receive and we honour people. How you going, Ryan? (laughs) All right. Do you want to help him that? Maybe just stand around just in case. Maybe Mark, maybe just stand around just in case. Go to gym heads. Why don't, why don't someone grab a chair for him? Not yet. He doesn't need a chair yet. Let's just look to our screen. How do we hold our pastor's hands up? A couple of simple things. Pray for me. Pray for Charlotte. Pray for our leaders. I sense when you pray for me. Be teachable. Encourage us. Don't expect us to fulfill all your needs. Why don't you go to God? (laughs) I already told people I'm not your counsellor. I'm not a trained counsellor. Only care is great. Go to them. If you ask me for counselling, I'm going to say no, just so you know. Because I'm not trained in it. I can't do something I'm not trained in. I'm going to give you some spiritual wisdom. Another big one, partially care for each other. As a church, partially care for each other. If you care for each other, 
It saves us from caring for everybody. You know that when people don't turn up to church and don't let us know when they're away for weeks, we get concerned. We drive home every Sunday going, I wonder how that person's going. I wonder where they're at. It's wasted energy. Because if the church done that, if a church had that heart, if you see someone away, you call them up. And by the way, I know you're doing this already, but keep doing it. Find out how they're going. Encourage them to be in church. The other one is, hey, if you want to encourage us, just turn up. We've had people say to us, oh, we're so excited you're taking the church. And then we don't see them for 10 weeks. Turn up. Hey, the other thing is learn us. Learn how we work. Learn what encourages us. Learn what discourages us. Know that we have weaknesses and we have strengths. Apply this to your connect leaders. Apply this to your youth pastors. Apply this to your worship pastor, your kids pastor. Let's learn each other. The second thing is this. How you going, Ryan? You all right? Okay, he's all right. Let's be a church who fights for each other. So number one, fight for your pastors. Number two, fight for each other. Let's be so great at having each other's backs. Oh, can I hear an amen? Like, I want this church and this family to be the safest place for you. I want it to be a place you can bring your friends, you can bring your neighbors, you can bring your whoever you want. And they can come in here. Well, well, why don't we get a chair for them? Let's do what Moses did. We're trying to do the biblical example right now. So how are you going? How are you feeling? I'm better now. I'm better now. If Why are you better? Because they're helping me. Oh, please stop doing that to my legs. <laughs> now, if you just, just help him hold the bar up itself. <laughs> That's just like so much better, hey? Yeah, I mean, Mark's not doing enough. <laughs> just going back to our first point, this is, a, this is an, an example of spiritually what happens in church. Sometimes Charlie and I get tired. Sometimes we hold our hands up for as long as we can. These past few weeks for me personally, I've had a lot of discouragement. Charlotte, because you can tell at home, I bring it home with me, she can tell. I don't tell you that normally, but it has been. There's been things going on in church life, things that I've got to deal with, one of the 30,000 things that pastors have to deal with. And I come home, and Charlotte's like, we've got to get people around you who hold your hands up, who actually understand how you work. Because the things about Moses is that he could have his hands cut up all day, and he would have just been loving it. I'm sitting here watching revival happen, which is what that story represents, watching God move, watching the victories of God. And, and, and because two people, and by the way, Moses didn't ask them to do it. Aaron and Ur in the Bible didn't get asked to come and hold hands up. They were proactively thinking, how can I make Moses' job a joy and not a burden? This morning for you, again, this is why it's a harder message to, to preach. How can you make our pastor's job a joy and not a burden? Are you a joy or a burden? <laughs> Sometimes we think we're joys, but we're actually burdens. <laughs> because when you make your pastor's job a joy, the church flourishes. Happy wife, happy life, happy pastors, happy church. It's actually really true. 
Because I've seen pastors who are just completely in the worst place of their life and the church suffers for it. And so we have to be very, very wise in this. Coming back to fighting for each other, you guys can sit down now. That's fine. You can put it down. Let's give them a hand. Now, burn, burn that image in your head. Burn Ryan holding a bar up and his sweaty armpits in your head. Don't forget it because it will change our church. I just wish we could understand the weight of what's been said because it's so strong. Fight for each other. Uppercut, bang. Not with each other, for each other. Together, let's fight the enemy. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. I've got to just speed along. I'm a bit behind. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Notice gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens so that you may fulfill the law of Christ. We're called to bear each other's burdens, to be there, to fight for each other. When someone makes a mistake, you're the one that goes in gentleness and says, hey, you're called to more. Why are connect groups important? Because there is connection, there's family. When someone trips over, who's going to help you get back up? Are these gloves just normal now to you? Or do they still look weird? Proverbs chapter 27, 17. Iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. Who in your life is sharpening you in God? Who in this place is sharpening you in God? This morning, guess what I'm doing? I'm sharpening you in God. I'm saying, let's be more mature, let's be wise, let's be aware. But through your week, get into a connect group because they can sharpen you. They can help you. They can cause you to think bigger. You know what? Who's a person in your life who makes you think bigger? Who makes you think beyond the battle? Who makes you think beyond the valley? Embrace those people. They will be a friend to your destiny. Fight for each other. We're going to be a church family that fights for each other. And I want you to know that you can make mistakes in our church and it's okay as long as you get up and you keep moving. You know, some people say, I've made mistakes so I can't go back to church. Okay, so you have a slave mentality or a son mentality. A slave mentality says, I've made a mistake, I run from my father. A son mentality says, I made a mistake, I run to my father. We want to be a church that has a son family mentality. Is this okay this morning? Well, I'm getting my, uh, getting my box on right now, and I'm just, the enemy hates this, and I just want to just uppercut him because he just destroys so many lives. He destroys so many people. What we do isn't a game. What we do isn't light. This is heavy. We are heavyweight boxers. And we knock the enemy out time after time after time. The third and final thing is this, is that we as a family need to fight for unity. Psalm 133, if you have that, just turn here. Here's the last scripture for this morning, but Psalm 133. This is so cool. And we read this last week, but I just love this psalm. This could be one of my favorite psalms. It might even be my favorite. Psalm 133 says, How good and pleasant it is when brothers, sorry, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. 
It's like precious oil poured on the beard, running down the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the Jew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing. Why don't you say blessing? Blessing. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. How good and pleasant it is when Celebration Church lives together in unity. (laughs) Whether we're a few hundred or a few thousand, how good and pleasant it is. Because the oil here represents the anointing and the anointing represents revival. And when we come together in unity, in hearts of unity, revival starts to break out. Listen, I've been in church and I've seen churches when there isn't unity. I know what it's like to preach and half the room is against me and half is with me. I know what it's like to be in a church where gossip has destroyed the bones of the church. I just want to say from now on as a church, let's be so passionate about being people who fight. (laughs) Fight. (laughs) We fight. We're not passive. We're not doughy. We don't just sit on our hands and think, ah, she'll be right. That person did that, oh, well, maybe there's truth to it. Who cares if there's truth or not? Love them. Oh, the pastor said that. I don't agree. Oh, just be quiet. Stop your whinging. We've got a city to save. As we finish, let's just look at a few more things. You know, unity is not possible without diversity. Otherwise, it's just uniformity. Bill Johnson this week. I'm going to read it again because it's so good. It's up on the screen. But unity is not possible without diversity. Otherwise, it's just uniformity. It's really hard to turn pages with these gloves on. That's That's all right. I encourage us as a church my tea towel to make sure that we have the maturity to hear the heart behind the words not just the words I've been in church um, in seasons where you sit there and I critique the preacher and I'm not doing it to be evil I just get a bit self-righteous sometimes I've done it for ages but I remember I sit there and I think is that right? I don't know and I'm, just, I'm waiting to be offended because the reality is is that Words are important, but the heart behind the words are more important. Whenever someone gets up to speak, hear the heart behind what they're saying. Have the maturity to hear the heart behind what they're saying. As a parent, you've got to learn to hear the heart behind what your kids are trying to express, especially when they're younger and they can't speak very well. You've got to just take the moment and say, what are you trying to say? And as a church, we have to be so full of grace and so full of compassion and so full of love that we go, you know what? Maybe every word I heard today wasn't exactly what I agree with, but I hear the heart. Hey, that's a huge key right there. I know people who leave, left church because, oh, the pastor said this once, one line. Ah. Ten years worth of investment, they're gone. You've got to understand that's not kingdom. Hear the heart the heart, hear the heart. Unity doesn't mean we're always, we always have to agree. Unity means we're committed to continue to walk together. 
Community doesn't mean we always have to agree. It means that we are committed to continue to walk together. I hear things all the time from people that I don't necessarily agree with. I still love our church family. <laughs> that doesn't change how I think about that person. I still give them a hug on Sunday and say day and love them. Do I agree with everything they say? No, because I'm mature enough to know that it's not just so petty that we have to agree on everything. If my wife and I don't agree on everything, yet we still love each other, we're still married, we need to speak to each other, not about each other. Last week we spoke on this, and again, church, please understand this. And again, I'll come up on the screen, but our maturity level is shown by how we handle conflict. Our maturity level is shown by how we handle conflict. And unity is proven in conflict. It's easy for us to agree and get on and us have unity if you like everything I'm doing. It's when you hear something that you don't like, but you still choose to be unified. Yeah? Last week we encouraged you when it came to being a family and fighting for your family to be great at conflict resolution, which we are atrocious at in our society. What does Jesus say? We read it last week. He said, if you have an issue with your brother, one-on-one go and speak to your brother. If they still don't listen, get somebody else and go speak to them. If they don't still listen, take the church, get them involved. Notice the church is involved number three, not number one. And then it says number four, if they still don't listen, just let them go. The reason why we don't like to have conflict resolution and do it well is because we hate conflict. It's awkward. This is some pastoral wisdom right now for you. The greatest thing I've learned in my marriage is that communication about everything is key. And all the married couples would say amen. If you don't communicate well, your marriage doesn't go too well. We have to handle conflict well. As a church, we have to handle conflict. Please, can I encourage you, never, ever, ever send a text or an email to try and handle conflict. If you do it, I'll delete it, I won't read it. I can't hear your heart in an email. Because you know the level you get to? How many capital words are there? Or is there a smiley face in that text? Or oh, what are, are they yelling right now? I love, I love my mother-in-law, but she doesn't know how not to use... Um, caps on her phone so every single text is just yelling I read it as yelling I love you son maybe you are yelling that but are you coming to dinner this week just yelling imagine if there was coffee I'm like oh my goodness she's just yelling at me <laughs> you know the most loving thing is to sit down with someone and say hey I've got to, I just want to share how I'm feeling I want to share my concern. It's costly, it takes time, it might be awkward, but it's worth it. Because you actually restore unity when you actually handle conflict well. The last thing is this. The level of our unity, oh sorry, the level of our blessing, well the level of our unity determines the level of our blessing. The level of our unity determines the level of our blessing. Who here wants to see Celebration Church touch the city? My fingers are up right now, but you can't see it. 
this is this is this is a revival message because if we can be a family that's unified in the midst of conflict, remember unity is proven in conflict. That's when you and your friend have a conflict, you and your wife have a conflict, you and your family have conflict, you and your church brothers and sisters have conflict, you and your pastor has a conflict, whatever it is, deal with it well. Keep unity in your heart. Keep being committed to turning up with a good spirit. And what happens is the beard is covered with oil. <laughs> Matthew was shooting up water up here and poured some beard, some oil on his beard. Or Nat got some oil on his beard. Maybe the oil from the fish cook, uh, the chip cooker out there would be great for that. with everything you have. I'm going to say it again, not, not bodge it up. Our level of unity determines our level of blessing. And our level of unity determines our level of God moving. And our level of unity determines our level of seeing the Holy Spirit poured out in our meetings. And our level of unity determines how many salvations we see week to week and how many lives are transformed our unity together determines revival in our city because I've watched it time after time that if a church can turn on itself and fight each other, they can't focus on the ones who really need Christ. And my heart this morning, again, this is a big moment to hear, not just my words, but my heart. And through that, hear God's heart, I believe. That His heart is for His family to be unified. His heart is for His church to be unified. His heart is for us not to be caught up in petty things, petty disagreements, petty offences, petty unforgiveness, but instead be people who say, we're going to fight. We're going to fight together against the enemy. We fight for our pastors, for they're given the responsibility of leading us and overseeing and taking us somewhere. We fight for our family, for each other, because we have each other's backs. And through that, we know that there's blessing. And through that, we know there is safety. We, When someone gossips, we shut it down and say, no, I don't want to hear that negativity. I believe God's got great things for that person. I don't want to be a sounding board for your rubbish. I'm going to be a person and a vessel of God's presence fight for unity because the enemy will always attack unity. He will always attack it. He will always try and destroy unity. And he doesn't do it through the pastors only. He does it through someone in the audience crowd. Audience is the wrong word. Someone in the family. He does it through Jesus' brothers and sisters when it says he was doing many miracles spoke up and said, isn't that the carpenter's son? Isn't that Jesus who we grew up with? A little bit of gossip. That's probably gossip right there. A little bit of gossip. A little bit of chatter. A little bit of familiarity. And it says Jesus was blocked from doing all the miracles he wanted. He could do only a couple. 
people didn't know how to honour Him. And I pray our church is a church that isn't like our society. We don't cut everyone down. We don't cut down our leadership. You know, we don't cut down our politics. We don't, we don't cut down our principles. We don't cut down our bosses. We don't do, that's not who we are. That's not kingdom. No, no, we're honouring. We're kingdom. And let's be that rare church, and I use that word very, very intentionally, that knows how to actually look after our pastors. That knows how to look after each other. That knows how to look after unity. Put your boxing gloves on this morning. Let's put them on together. Let's fight the enemy. Recently, two of our schools lost. One one was an attempted suicide and one was a suicide. Just the past couple of weeks. It's huge. And it should move your heart. about empty seats in this church. But when a 14-year-old or a 13-year-old takes their life because they have no hope, we need to put our boxing gloves on and stop being so petty. The music's too loud at church. I don't like this. I don't like that. Enough. Our city needs Christ parents of our city need Christ if you're a youth in youth ministry here thank you keep doing what you're doing it is not about trying to look after crazy kids on a Friday night it is about loving them and embracing them because you don't know if they're struggling with such issues that they're thinking about such serious things see again right now hear my heart not just my words my heart that's a huge key for us the church up together. Let's rise up in faith. Let's rise up in conviction. Let's rise up in our hearts. Let's make sure that we're not complacent. Your life and my life is short. We have all eternity to enjoy each other. Let's fight for those who can't fight for themselves. Let's uppercut the devil a few times a day. I encourage that person today. I take this devil, bang, I was generous today. Take this devil, bang, I, I pray for someone today. Take this devil, bang. I love that unlovable person today. The devil's like, stop hitting me. I take this, bang. I don't want to come to church today, but I'm going to come and worship Jesus. Take this devil, bang. Ooh, get hot up here in these things. Charlie, come up here. Why don't we stand to our feet? sense God's presence here this morning? Yeah, okay. Um, okay, thank you. There's definitely just an anointing here. Because you've got to understand that as a pastor, that message isn't easy to preach. It's hard to say to people, honour us, honour us, honour No, that's, our heart isn't that. Because if you were called tomorrow to Africa, 
I would want you to be a shield bearer for your pastor there and take the same message for them as you would for us here. It's a spirit you carry. It's a shield-bearing spirit. I want to I want to write a book on shield-bearing one day, but maybe I'll do it. How good's God? How good's my wife? Awesome. Why don't we close our eyes? Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Father. You know, in this place, as everyone has their eyes closed, I've spoken about God's family. And I've spoken about that we want to be passionately inclusive as God's family. And this morning, if you know in your heart that either you haven't given your heart to Christ and made Him your Lord and Saviour, or maybe you've walked away from Him in your heart, I want to give you a moment just to say, yes, I want to just commit my heart to God. I want to to recommit my heart to God. By doing so, we're part of God's family. And you know this, by the way, because maybe you haven't spoke to God for a long time. Maybe there's bitterness in your heart towards God. Maybe you have to reconcile right now. And I encourage you in this place, and if you're a Christian who's right with God, I want you to be praying in your heart right now. Remember, we're in a spiritual war right now. But if that's you this morning, you say, Benaiah, I just want to make sure my heart is right with God or I want to give my heart to God for the first time. I just want you to put your hand up where you are in this place. Awesome, I see that hand. Awesome, I see that hand. Anybody else? You just want to say, yeah, that's me. Awesome, I see that hand. Anybody else? This is a powerful moment. This is a powerful moment. We're going to pray this prayer together of commitment. And if you put your hand up, we're going to pray with you. Commitment of giving our heart to God. Let's pray pray this together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sin. And today, I ask that you, Lord Jesus, would come into my heart forgive me of my sin and everything wrong I've done and give me a new start I thank you for your love I thank you for your grace and Holy Spirit I invite you into my heart please help me in Jesus name Amen let's give God a hand of praise Who was blessed this morning? That's good. Go home, get the podcast, listen to it again if you want. Uh, have you noticed that we're doing more illustrations every week? We're on a six-week run now of illustrations. So unfortunately, our podcasters can't hear that, but I love it. I love visually helping people see something. Why don't you just take the hand of your spouse or just touch the person next to you if you want. If you don't want to, that's okay as well. Don't feel awkward. We're just going to pray over our church family. We just, we just want to pray a prayer of blessing over you as you go into your week. And we believe this is a powerful moment in our church family to do this. All right. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for this incredible church family we have here. And 
Father, I just thank you that you're calling us to be fighters. Lord, to fight for your kingdom, to fight for each other. Father, this morning, I just pray your blessing upon every person here. Lord, even our church family who aren't here, God, we declare your blessing. And we send out our church this week just with the touch of God. Lord, with hearts of revival, with hearts of breakthrough. Lord, we just pray you anoint our hands afresh. Lord, that we would see miracles and open doors and favour. God, we pray that you would just meet every need and beyond. Lord, touch our city with your love in Jesus' powerful name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Hey, God bless you. Have a great Sunday. We'll see you next week. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you would like to know more about our church, please go to celebrationchurch.com.au.